This is In the Studio with Michael Carr, recorded live from the campus of Wheaton College. Each week we come your way from the studio at Mole End in Franklin, Tennessee, but today we've packed the studio into the bus and hit the road. Even though the location is different, today's program has the same goals of studying the Word and then discovering how we can live out our relationship with Christ through creativity and in community. The difference is we have about 3,000 friends joining in. Studying with Michael will be Moody's radio pastor Donald Cole, and together they'll direct our attention to John's gospel and the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And later in the hour, Michael's good friend and former Wheaton College faculty member, Dr. Harold Best, joins us to discuss art, community, and worship. But right now, let's go to the platform of Edmund Chapel, where Michael begins with a classic song, God's Own Fool. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to men, he must have seemed out of his mind. For even his family said he was mad, and the priest said a demon's to blame. But God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. played the fool and he opened our eyes when we in our weakness believed we were strong he became helpless to show we were wrong so we follow God's own fool for only the foolish can tell So come lose your life for a carpenter's son For a madman who died for a dream Then you'll have the faith his first followers had And you'll feel the weight of the beam So surrender the hunger to say you must know Have the courage to say I believe For the power of paradox opened your eyes and blinds those who say they can see. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise. He played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Thank you, Michael. It's called God's Own Fool, and that's what we're going to be talking about here is serious discipleship today with Pastor Don Cole. Pastor Cole, you, you heard the song just now. What are your thoughts about what you've, what you've heard? I love that song. On the other hand, it makes me very uncomfortable 
in the sense that God is calling me to a standard that I have not always achieved. But it's the biblical standard. The Apostle Paul on one occasion could call himself God's fool. And I like the concept that you have there of Christ also functioning as the Father's fool, doing foolish things. And the chapter before us today certainly reveals that. If you can imagine God incarnate washing people's feet. I think that if you could get beyond the music, the music is marvelous, but if you could focus on the lyrics and take them seriously, you would find them life-changing. Thanks for that song, mm. Michael. Thanks, Don. It's, uh, it's our description that we call it serious discipleship or extreme discipleship or radical discipleship. Don't you think that Jesus, this is the norm. This is what Jesus calls us to. to what him, other it's, kind it's of the discipleship norm. is Absolutely. There? There's nothing radical about, well, you know, theologians will dive into the meaning of the word radical, but uh, there's nothing radical about it. It is normal. Christianity, the problem that I've struggled with all my life is to rise above the mediocre and to strive for the normal. In other words, trying to become a Christian. Well, let's turn to the scriptures. Uh, Michael, we'll invite you to come to the chair over by Pastor Cole here and take your, your copy of the New Living Translation there that you're using today. And for those in the audience, you have uh, the scripture right in the community magazine that you have. It's right in the middle of the magazine. And let's, let me ask the, the two of you to read this passage from John 13 for us. Then we'll discuss it some more, and, and Michael will sing more for us. So, Michael, would you like to start? Sure. But before we start, I've, I've just got to mention, just say how much uh, Pastor Cole means to me. I don't know how many of you know him and have heard him on Moody for year, years after year um, answering Bible questions. Uh, which I can't imagine doing, how scary that is. But this man means so much to me. A missionary from Angola, has a real heart for Africa, and uh, is just an amazing person. And thanks for doing this this morning. It's amazing to me like that you're each here. other. You know that, Micah? What? We like each other. Yeah, Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the people I seek out in this world. <laughs> I'm an affirmation junkie. Okay, now read, huh? Yeah, this is John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. That's a lot of love. It was time for supper, and the devil had already enticed Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to carry out his plan to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he'd come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. When he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, why are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now why I'm doing it, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, but if I don't wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, 
A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean, and you are clean. But that isn't true of everyone here, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You called me teacher and Lord, and you are right because it is true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. How true it is that a servant is not greater than the master, nor are messengers more important than the one who sends them. You know these things, now do them. That is the path of blessing. And that is the scripture, John chapter 13. While we allow that to sink in, a wonderful way to do that, Michael, is for you to do that song that you've written called The Basin and the Towel. And we're going to uh, talk about this passage in a moment. After Michael sings, if our audience, if you have a question or comment, just let me know where you are and I'll come to you. Michael Carr, The Basin and the Towel. Take the vow the day after. 
Thank you, Michael. Pastor Cole, if you'd like to begin to talk again about this passage, while you and Michael talk, I'll be looking for questions from the audience here at Wheaton. Go ahead. Well, everybody knows that the 13th chapter of John's Gospel is the beginning of the final section of the life of our Lord. And in it, he is with his disciples. Once they get rid of the traitor, then he opens up his heart and he tells them the things they needed to know. And in this chapter, one of the main lessons, if not the main lesson, is that all of his life he had given them an example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He could speak of himself, of course, as a follower of God the Father. So he's telling us that to be a Christian is not simply to follow certain rituals, It's to be like him and to adopt a completely radical set of values. The world out there, whether the religious world or the Jews or the Romans, was striving for eminence, self-importance. And here he does what none of them was willing to do, and that is wash each other's feet, which, of course, was a cultural feature of the time. It's an amazing story. The the preface statement when it says, Jesus realized that he'd come from God. He was returning to God. God had given him all authority. There's this setup of this realization that Jesus really understands who he is. So, John says. And then what follows is not at all what any of us would have expected. No, we wouldn't have. If I had known, for example, that I'd come from God, unlike any of us, we came from our parents and that I was going back to God, you wouldn't get me washing people's feet. (laughs) But uh, he wanted to leave them the instructions they most needed to tell them the essence of Christianity. It's to be a servant. And we can talk about that. Christians talk about that all the time. Christian executives talk about it, and then want the best parking places, et cetera. But to be a servant is very difficult. To have a servant attitude is very difficult. And you can have that only to the extent that you are a true follower of Christ. But it takes a lifetime. I told you earlier that I was trying to become a Christian. Many years ago, I had a priest friend in Angola. We used to meet in a bar, not a saloon, but the European-style bar, and he would always have a little cognac, and I would have something worse, Portuguese coffee. (laughs) And about the first time, I said, are you 
a Christian? And he said, smiling, I am becoming a Christian. Hmm. I thought, this guy doesn't know what it means to be born again. You become a Christian instantaneously the moment you trust Christ. Turned out he did. But what he was saying is, it takes a lifetime of discipline under the Word of God in imitation of Jesus to be a Christian. Hmm. Would you agree? I do, I, I do agree, but I would also say it's a lifetime of beginning again, of, of fumbling and, you know, being fragile and realizing that we, we have the grace, we have that fund of grace that we can begin again. I think Karl Barth said the most important lesson is not to learn how to begin, but to learn how to begin again. And that Christian, my, my walk, my very fr fragmented <laughs> Christian walk has been a matter of failing, starting again, failing, starting again. And uh, that's an amazing process to me, I think, too, that gra the grace is always there, always ready to forgive. Um, Michael, sir, pastor, I, I have a question here from a student in the audience here at Wheaton. So go ahead and tell us your name and your question. My name is Elizabeth Martin, and I've been listening to that Basin in the Towel song since it first came out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I memorized all the words, uh -oh. and it just hit me today what you were meaning when you connected community with the distance between us yeah. is as far as the stars. I mean, the, that, that has never connected to me before, and I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, how have you made some of these really clear pictures and images come alive within your lyrics? Oh, completely in spite of myself. <laughs> really, completely in spite of myself. Um, I think that's what ministry, ministry is. You, how can I best not mess this up? Is, you know, how can I not be in the way and mess this up? And um, I think if, if, I think that's where some great images come from. When you fail miserably enough times, you have sort of have this sense memory of it. And I can remember feeling as distant from people as, I mean, this, the distance between the stars is the greatest distance I can think of. So that's why it comes back into the, into the song with that idea. But, but it's in the context of community that we wash each other's feet. You know, you gotta have community Absolutely. to do that. What, what about, I, I wanna hear another story from Africa about this. I mean, did y'all did ever do foot washing in your services? Well, only one time were my feet washed by uh, a young girl. She'd been a graduate of our boarding school. She was about 16 at the time. And I'd walked about 30 miles to her village. Mm. Wow. And the only piece of furniture in the house was a little chair, something like this. And after a while, she came into the room with a big basin of warm water she'd warmed up. And put one foot in and then the other foot in. Oh, it felt like heaven <laughs> after walking all those miles. And that was an act of service on her part. She got even later on, though, because she served me a meal and cornmeal mush with a lot of gravy on it. She asked me how I liked the gravy. I said I thought it was extremely tasty. She said that was caterpillar gravy. <laughs> <laughs> but she'd washed my feet, and she had showed me that she was a loving servant person. But you're right, community, when we become Christians, we cease to be lone rangers. 
And the images used in the Bible are such as, I suppose the most graphic is the body, because all of the parts, even though separate, are one part of the same body. But I love this chapter here. It is full of a thousand different sermons. You already drew attention to the one that he knew that his hour had come to leave the world and to go to the Father. And for all of us who know Christ as Savior, that's what death means. We leave the world and we go to the Father. We're not going back where we came from. We're going to some new place. And before we get there, we begin a lifetime of discipline, self-discipline under the Word of God, and the keynote with reference to our relations to each other is servant. We have taken words like minister, which really means servant, and we have elevated that, invested that with a certain dignity that it never had in the first century, right? It meant servant. And that was one of the essences, the essential thing of Christians. Hi, my name is Beatrice Rusu, and I've just been wondering what are we as Christians to think of, um, of the observation of foot washing in today's churches because it seems like it has come back. Wow, I didn't know it had come back. I'm, that, I'm glad to hear that because in, in my context it hadn't. In, in my community, we're not washing feet, although I wish we were. I know it's an ordinance in some, some churches. It is. In some traditions, it's kind of a burlesque of what is intended here. <laughs> Tell us what you really feel. <laughs> in others, it is high, highly symbolic. And when done properly, it draws the attention of the Lord's people to the fact that they are supposed to serve one another. And if you can get that message across once a year in some communities, you're doing well. So I have no problem with it at all. I do in some places where, as I say, it's a, an empty ritual. All rituals become empty if we drift away from God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But originally, these rituals were intended to do something very important and there's no need for us to be shallow and empty when we deal with them. There's no reason why we could not have a foot-washing service that was full of meaning so that you would leave remembering, Lord, you gave me your example, and I want to follow that. Well, Pastor Don Cole, thank you for being with us in a little larger studio than normal here today. Thank you very much. We've, you. We always enjoy our time with you, Pastor. Thank I know I speak for Michael in saying oh, that. You're my hero. I'm going to be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> in the reincarnation, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. That's a Me whole too. other program. <laughs> Michael, let's close with your song. If you'll go back to the piano for us, this song fits right in here. It's called To Follow You. I'm going to invite you to sing uh, along. On the, there's a tag that's very simple. I'll sing it one time, and you guys are so quick. You'll have it in a heartbeat. But this is called, I've Left Everything to Follow You.
Though sometimes I grow weary when the road's getting long. At each point of my weakness, you make me strong. And when doubt takes over, I remember it's true. I left everything to follow you, to stay safe or to follow. You asked me to choose, but how could I fail when I've got nothing left to lose? Without your call, I couldn't make it. It'd be impossible to do to leave everything and follow. Everything to follow, everything to follow, everything to follow you. Ready? Everything to follow, everything to follow, everything to follow you. sacrifice I gave up my home but you left paradise and what you call me to offer is really set me free cause you left everything to be with me so with joy I embrace a faith that calls me from home and I will cling to your promise that I am never alone. And with each passing moment, I'll keep hoping it's true. Because I left everything to follow you. Together again. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Everything to listening to a special edition of In the Studio with Michael Card, recorded before a live audience at Wheaton College. You can find out more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry by going online. Our place on the web is found at www.michaelcard.com. And you can email your comments to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Coming up in the second half, we'll hear more music and we'll talk about the relationship of creativity and worship with Dr. Harold Best, here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. This is a special edition of In the Studio, recorded at Wheaton College. To begin our second half, here's Michael Card with a song, Recapture Me. Fleeing what I do not know 
no, recapture me, recapture me. I flee to where I cannot go, recapture me. The bridge between my heart and mind, recapture me, recapture me. You come across myself to find, recapture me. You come and knock on imagination's door. You come to show to know you is what our eyes and ears are for. With ears that hear but not receive, recapture me, recapture me. With eyes that see but can't perceive, recapture me. Your paradox and poetry, recapture me, recapture me. They speak one sacred certainty, recapture me. You come and knock on imagination's door You come to show to know you is what eyes and ears are for Through prophet's madness make me wise, recapture me Recapture me through foolish faith, open my eyes, recapture me with sacred words, with silent words, recapture me, recapture me. You're the living word that must be heard, recapture me, recapture me, recapture, recapture me. Thank you, Michael. Once again, we are at Wheaton College for our In the Studio program today, and we're delighted that our guest is Dr. Harold Best. Uh, Dr. Best is no stranger to this campus. Michael, you have been friends with Harold for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. Did you first meet him here at Wheaton? I was first. I was in Seattle, and I was given a little monograph that he had written on creativity and art and completely changed my whole you know, life. And uh, I was already doing music at that point and just started searching for him and found him. And we corresponded some and started doing concerts here. And he's just been very, always very gracious and open and encouraging. And he's one of my heroes. I mean, Don, to have Don and Harold here at the same time is I'm, I'm tripping up here. This is a little too much for me. Uh, Dr. Best is the former dean of the conservatory here at Wheaton College. He's the author of Music Through the Eyes of Faith and a forthcoming book on worship and the arts, which we are really looking forward to. Michael, I know you're anticipating that book. I am. Let's talk about worship and the arts here today. Dr. Best, first of all, welcome to our Thank program. You. Good to be here. Glad to be with Michael, with you, and to see students again. I, I miss you uh, most of all uh, with regard to my work here at Wheaton. I miss you greatly. Even though you're not the same bunch that was here, I, when I left, I hope uh, at least that, <laughs> that some of you have graduated. But it's, it's a pleasure to be back among uh, bright, earnest young people. Dr. Best. Yes, sir. As we think about worship and creativity, get us started. You have uh, given a lot of thought and a, and a lot of uh, study to this. Well, worship and creativity both issue from the same person, that is the person of, of the Almighty God. Uh, whom we worship and in whose image we're made. Uh, we worship him 
uh, not to satisfy some narcissistic need he has for worship. In other words, we were not created to worship. That's wrong. I really hesitate to say that we were created for worship. I would rather say that we were created worshiping. Uh, that, that's the only way it can be. We were created in that state already. And the fall simply allowed us or caused us not to stop worship, but to change gods. But the urge to worship with which we were created kept on going. Therefore, we have false religions and falsity within Christianity. Um, that's one side of it. We were created also in the image of God to be able to behave the way he behaves. And the difference between the two of us is one of infinity and finitude. We were finitely created to love, to think things up and make them, to go around here and there and do things, to have incredible power over the handiwork that God laid out for us. So that if I can bring these two together quickly and to save time, uh, being created in the image of God as a worshiper, as already worshiping, you cannot separate worship from creativity. Uh, creativity is not an artistic word, it's a human word. Worship is not a Christian word, it's a created word. We were created worshiping. So we can at least start with those thoughts. Wow. What it, what it makes me think of, and I'll, I'll respond as best I can because I'm still processing, but what it makes me think of is just this whole idea even of the body, the fact that we are the body of Christ, and we don't have to become that. We are that, but we live in denial of that. Same, same deal. We are, being, we are in, in the words of our good brother over here in the first uh, broadcast, uh, we are becoming. Um, uh, and... Uh, to tie the word community into the creator worship uh, idea, you end up with this beautiful triad, this three-part, three-in-one, one-in-three uh, mystery that uh, creativity on the human side is impossible without community. And furthermore, worship, although it is possible without community, it calls out for community immediately. That is to say, if I'm alone with God in my private prayer closet, which I should be regularly, and if I'm worshiping God all day long, and if I know by reason of fact that Christ is in God, God is in Christ, Christ is in me, I am in Christ, I am in Mike, and Mike is in me, you are in me, and I am in you. We are mutual indwellers, which is a richer meaning of the word koinonia. The fact that we cannot get along without each other in that most fundamental sense means that worship, creativity, and community are really synonyms of each other in the best possible sense of the word. An artist who claims to create out of nothing is full of hogwash. Artists cannot create out of nothing. They create out of things around them into something else. That immediately makes them participate in community, the community of raw materials, the community of example, I have to look to other artists for ideas, for influence. I have to pick up notes and shapes and textures and sounds, put them together, but they're there in the uh, beforehand. And the community of needs. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Uh, the, 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 and the community of grieving together, the community of bearing each other's burdens by faith, which is different than saying, I know how you feel. 
Uh, bearing one another's burdens by faith, I think, is an intrusive act whereby if this definition of, of faith in Scripture is to be taken literally, faith does not bring substance and evidence. Faith is substance and evidence. The act of bearing one another's burdens by faith brings me substantially and evidentially into their pain, into their hurt, likewise into their triumph. Uh, it doesn't do any of us good to say, Michael, just pray about it. I know how you feel. I've been there too. That's, that's a bad start hmm. in community, but grieving by faith. And out of that relationship then comes songs and... Create creative expressions of exactly create creative expressions of everything. I mean, I uh, certainly as artists we would say out of that comes songs, <clears throat> out of that comes painting, out of that comes sculpture, but out of that comes carpentering, mm -hmm. and out of that comes plumbing, and and sewing up uh, wounds in uh, the emergency room and parenting. There is no separation of responsibility whereby we can say there's more community in artistry than there is in carpentry. Community is of the essence of being created in the image of God. Now, was there not a time, though, when you didn't see it as, no, as broad an absolutely. expression? Do a absolutely. little testimony I, here. I stunk uh, <laughs> theologically. Um, uh, I was brought up to assume that art had a capital A, that artists were capital A artists. I was, a, I was brought up uh, through the doctorate, really, to assume that aesthetics, that, that truth and beauty were equal to each other. I was taught to look down on less than good art, if not certainly less than great art, with a certain amount of uh, anger and um, meanness. It was very difficult for me, and it still is. I still fight with this every day to assume that anybody who does anything in bad taste can really be walking that close to Jesus. Uh, I'm saying this uh, with shame in my heart, but nonetheless, it's there. And I fight that, and I have more victory over that in my 71st year than I did even five years ago, and certainly uh, when I was in my 30s and 40s. Um, it was tough. It's tough to understand that as great as great art can be and as lousy as bad art can be, with everything in between, it's tough to understand that God accepts with a smile all art that is offered to him in faith. Mm. That's hard for me to understand because I want quality to be right at the forefront. It's, it's right, it's what's next, but it's not what's first. I had an epiphany. I was driving down the road one day. Some of my most spiritual times were driving mm -hmm. and channel surfing on the radio, which is almost as fun as channel surfing on TV. And I hit a, a Southern Gospel station and I listened for a while to this song, and I am just, I'm just dice, slicing and dicing this song. The words are all wrong. The music is all wrong. And the Lord, and this doesn't happen to me very often, and I'm very reluctant to use this kind of language, but I will use it here because I think it's appropriate. The Lord basically broke into that situation and said, um, well, do you think that that man who's singing that song thinks it's a good song? I said, well, yeah, of course, of course he does. And then, and this is so much like Jesus. Jesus said, well, do you think your music is good? And that's where he left me. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And I slowed down and realized, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, see, I'm left the same place. Yeah. Uh, whatever your style is, whatever my style is, it's irrelevant to this conversation. The important thing is I had to realize I'm not very good. 
that the condescending attitudes I have or had about other people's music, other people's art, I had to suddenly realize that I am very average. If that, well, if that. Well, you really hurt my feelings one time. I, wanna, I want you to talk about Only this. once. That's, that's, that's a shame. I, I'll try harder. Well, one time after a concert, you came up to me and you said, you, you know, your music is really good. It's not great, but it's really good. And then you unpack this whole idea of uh, the significance of goodness. Yes. Uh, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, need, we need to honor that word. In a culture that has absolutely trashed language, everything is awesome. From a pizza to some sexual experience to God, awesome, awesome, awesome. We have absolutely robbed our language of its superlative force. Therefore, God is dead linguistically. That is a shame and it's a tragedy. If, if a pizza is awesome and then we get up and say God is awesome, we have really uh, entered into a kind of profanity and we need to enter into the rescue of the English language as Christians. You folks should be the most disciplined people on the face of the earth as to the use of language. You should save your superlatives for superlative experiences. Transcendent words for transcendency. But doing that will allow us to come back to the word goodness and find that within that great arena of middling excellence, if I can put it that way, there is a treasure store of human activity and human creativity. Uh, higher education is always talking way, way up in the planets and the stars about what you're capable of achieving. And we talk about greatness and leadership and all of those things. Uh, we need to talk about ordinary goodness. He is a good man. She is a good woman. Those are good songs. Those are good words. This food is good, not great, not awesome. This is a good hamburger, you know, or whatever. But, you know, I, could, I shouldn't go on any longer because, Michael, I know how much you like to talk. <laughs> Actually, I'll, oh, I have a question ow. on this side of the auditorium over here, so let's uh, ask no. you to tell us your name and your question. My name is Morgan, um, and actually the conversation has gone so many different directions since I first had my question. Um, but we'll try and bring it back here maybe. Um, you had said when you were talking about community how a bad example of how to intrude uh, in, a, in a community of faith in a supporting way is to say, I know what you're feeling, you know, I'll pray about you and, and, and just kind of leave it at that. And I know that to provide a good example would be to give something very specific um, that really wouldn't necessarily be applicable in that specific way to another situation. But could you do that? I mean, could you give an actual example of what you mean by uh, a good way to intrude in the community of faith? Well, first of all, by praying. Lord, uh, in other words, it's, it's not a humanistic decision to enter by faith into the dilemma of another person. Bearing each other's burdens and soul fulfilling the law is not an automatic step in the next direction. I think it is preceded by prayer. And it's preceded by intense intercession on the part of those whose burdens you're bearing. And I think within that, the process of actually taking on pain, I'm not 
trying to be uh, schmaltzy or careless here. The process of taking on pain is just as important as the process of taking on joy. We do find that how, how easy it is to laugh with one another. Uh, it's a little bit harder to grieve, and I think it's a discipline probably that is one of the basic disciplines of the Christian faith to enter in by faith to somebody who's clinically depressed, somebody who's schizophrenic, um, not just somebody who has gas pains or who occasionally feels down because they flunked their test. I'm talking about the deep, deep, deep tragedies. Somebody's on drugs. What does it mean to enter by faith into a person who is needle-racked and pockmarked? What does it mean to enter by faith with somebody who's dying of AIDS? What does it mean to enter by faith uh, into a household in which abuse of all kinds takes place? It's a discipline, I believe, and it does not come at once. I'm still working on that. let me, let, me, let me just say this if I can. Some people identify more easily with other people, and others don't. I'm a person who empathizes so much that I, I have to back off because I can get sick with sick people. I can faint when people are fainting. Uh, my empathy trigger is very, very short. My wife is the other way around. She's very sanguine. And uh, the two of us have had to work on that together because of my deep introspective identities with everything and her objective skills in, 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 in healing another way. And uh, I think part of the secret of our marriage is that we found a synthesis between the two. If I, I'm sorry for taking so long. Wow. Dr. Bess, I'd like to ask one question, then we'll ask Michael to do a song for us. Um, we're in a culture where we tend to worship the creative and the person who is creative. Michael knows the temptation. Yes. You're, what is our role in creativity? Who's our in that sentence? Uh, what is the, what, the, the person who is creative, what is that person's role, and, and how do people respond to them appropriately? Uh, Michael struck on it, well, he strikes on it all the time, and that is the, the role of the servant, the role of humility. I, I, I am a person who believes deeply that a Christian is not truly worth his or her salt until brokenness has totally overtaken him or her. However that comes about, uh, it can come about through pain or joy, but brokenness is a state in which we are found before the Lord in such a condition as to be totally useful without getting in the way of of usefulness. And, I think also that we have to understand that because creativity is a human word, it's no special thing to be an artist. What is special is to do well. And if, if doing well becomes the, the, the striving within us, then we're bound to look at the work of teachers and doctors and politicians and plumbers and carpenters and say, how do they do well? And how does their doing well uh, complement or, or merge with my doing well? Uh, the word art really got capitalized very recently in human history. Bach thought he was a craftsman. That's how he described himself. And he did not really have an idea about writing music for the ages. Uh, 
That was a newer idea. I like to say to my students when I was teaching that Bach spent 23 years in St. Thomas Church in Leipzig getting ready for Sunday. And if we could just all get ready for Sunday, I don't mean chronological Sunday, but I mean Resurrection Day, then we'd be all on the same plane. This happens to us all the time, doesn't it, Michael? We get engaged in these conversations and our time expires here. So, Dr. Best, thank you. You're we welcome. look forward to the next time that we're You're together. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for what you've meant to Michael's ministry and, and many others as well. Uh, Michael, as we close today, uh, thanks, first of all, to the students and all at Wheaton College for uh, their uh, hosting us here for our radio program in the studio. And uh, we have many of them here now who are going to hear you sing Grace Be to You All. This is a benediction from uh, Hebrews 13.
Michael has just sung our prayer, Grace Be With You All, recorded live at Wheaton College. And thank you for joining us for this special edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. I'd like to remind you to take a moment and email your comments about today's broadcast to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And more information about this program and Michael's music ministry can be found online at www.michaelcard.com. Again, that's michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Chris Seagard. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.